So I ask you to turn to Psalm 27 where we began the service. If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles. There should be some in some of the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible, not just to use right now, and I think it will help you follow along this morning, but also keep it, write your name in it, and make it part of your life. Psalm 27 is our text this morning. So we continue a series through the Psalms. I wonder if you're like me in that you struggle with fears. Sometimes it's the small nagging discomfort of butterflies in my stomach and a lack of peace. And maybe it's the slight anxiety that is actually bubbling under the surface. And sometimes sheer terror. It can be fear of death for me sometimes. Not hell, though at one time I did fear that. But fear of what death could bring in leaving my family without dad. Fear of leaving the comforts of life that I currently enjoy. Times for me it could be fear of cancer or an illness that will take my life at a younger age. Fear of loss of comfort. Fear of spiritual well-being of my children and their future. Fear of financial stress. Christians are told not to be afraid over and over in the Bible. So I guess God knew that we would struggle with it. We fear. We fear death. We fear the future. We fear exposure of something in our lives. We fear relationships. We feel failure. We feel hard circumstances hitting us, the unknown. I wonder what you fear. I'm guessing that you do in some ways or another, even if you don't realize it. We fear too often because we do not believe God and depend on Him as we ought. We doubt God, we depend on ourselves, and we fear rejection, and we fear failure and the future, and we feel fear pain, and we feel the sense of a loss of control, and we fear. This fear can come out in many different ways in our lives. We can withdraw, we can hide, we can become people-pleasing, escaping into fantasies, blaming others, lying, arguing, intimidating, anger, critical attitudes, manipulating, defensiveness. You see, difficult people will always enter our lives and difficult circumstances. We call them trials. And they will threaten the loss of things that we hold dear. They will threaten the idea that we are in control. They'll threaten the idea, is God really good in our minds? Fear, you know, can be truly disabling. I remember when I was 10 or 11, I would, I would sleep in the basement room of our house, our old duplex at Northland, with no windows in that basement room. It wasn't a code. And, and one night, I woke up with a really bad dream, a nightmare, and it was pitch black in that room, and I started to call out, and then I started to cry and probably scream in a type of fearful terror until Dad came into the room, opened the door, flipped the light on, and changed everything. Dad and light. The presence of an important person 
that brought light into a situation. And I remember other times in my childhood when I would lay in bed at night, and it seemed to be at night when darkness would arise, that I would start to feel fears. And I remember time after time talking with my dad, and I remember one particular time saying to dad, dad, I I sometimes fear if I died today, whether I would be in hell do my sin, are my sins really taken care of? Am I forgiven? My dad would point me to a person and a promise. The person is Jesus Christ and his faithfulness to all his promises. And the question was, Daniel, do you really believe him when he said that he will forgive you all your sins and save you into eternal life How much do you truly trust that he will keep his word? I remember with much gratitude how God used those conversations to bring light to my heart, chasing away fear. And it was in my college years that I would face anxiety over heartbreaks and relationships, especially with girls, and they led me in that direction of these fear, but it led me towards God in the direction that my dad would always point me in the, when I was young, God, my father, was pointing to me in those years. In college, I remember my heart being so overwhelmed and anxious and distressed over things. And I would, I would make my way at, at this small Christian college. They had this big building called the Founder Center where we had all our classes in, in the offices. And they had a little basement. And they had an elevator that would go to this first basement floor. And it was small musty, cement-blocked corridor, and I would go down there with my Bible and with a little book called George Mueller's Answers to Prayer, and I would get on my knees, and I would remember the promises of God like He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I would cry out to the Lord, and, and light and Father came to me. God, my Father, coming to me, ministering through the light of His Word. It was 20 years later when I came to the same college, now a husband and as a parent of five, and with some pastoral experience under my belt, and take leading a struggling and crumbling college, I would go to that same basement with the same books, looking to the same person for the same light. And during those days and hours, God used songs in the darkness. He used promises from God's word. He taught me more about his special presence ministering in the midst of my fears of the unknown and my dread of the unknown or of the future, bringing with it hope and light and faith. I would come up from the basement, not yet singing with joy, but fortified with hope and with the confidence and peace that he was good, he was in control, and I could trust him. I wonder if you have founder center basements like that in your life, where in the midst of fear and darkness and discouragement, you run to him and find Father and light, your Father, your Heavenly Father, and the light of God's word and his promises. Psalm 27 is one of those. It is a psalm of David, and it's the testimony of this man in the midst of difficulty, affliction, and turmoil. 
This truly is a beautiful psalm. It is a psalm that begs for it to be memorized and meditated on for the rest of your life. And I see in this psalm four divisions. And I want to walk you through the psalm section by section and see the testimony of David's trust in the midst of turmoil and difficulty and of fear. So what I want us to do is see what David says. And I, I think this shows us a, a way in which we are to follow him and looking to God. Here's what David says. We should learn to say and grow in these ways. So let's look at that. Num- number one, verses one through three, we see that David says, my peace is in the person of God. Look at verses one through three. The Lord is my light and my shield, or my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes? It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet this will I be confident. And in these opening verses, as well as the final verses, provide some self-talk. David is in many ways saying, David, you need to remind yourself of these things, and you need to do this as well. Daniel, the Lord is your light and your salvation, so whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of your life. Of whom shall you be afraid? This idea of light, the Lord is your light, symbolizes life and joy in the Bible, gladness, and even salvation. This salvation and light come together. We know the difference of the light of day can make in our spirits, turning the troubling thoughts of the dark hours into distant troubles. God is our light. He is our life and our He is our light and our salvation. So whom shall we fear? Or what shall I fear? And the answer in this is not the darkness, not if God is your light, not that which would keep you from deliverance. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, David says. He is my refuge, the place I run for safety and I find it. So whom shall I be afraid, David says? Not my enemies seeking to destroy me. He names a torrent of potential causes of fear. Probably in a level that you and I have never experienced. He says, when evil doers assail me to eat up my flesh. I wonder if David's thinking of Goliath. When he was going to devour him and tear him apart. Or Saul, his father-in-law, who was chasing him to kill him. Or the Philistines who want to destroy him as their enemy, or the king of Gath, or his treacherous son Absalom. And David says, My heart shall not fear. The wars rise against me, yet I will be confident. And the answer is why. The answer to why will he not be fearful, it's, it's the Lord. It is the Lord. It's that word Yahweh. The Lord, the covenant-keeping God to David. He does not fear. He is the person of my salvation. And oh, friends, as we come to this, we need to realize that the person of God is the answer of our peace. You want peace, you're going to find it, seek to find it in so many ways, but the only way to find true peace in the midst of your inevitable fears in this life 
is in the person of God, is to be able to, like David, be able to say, the Lord is my light and he is my shield. Who is it? It is the Lord. And he is my salvation. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from all the power of the devil. He preserves me in a way that without the will of God the Father, not a hair will fall from my head. He works all things for my salvation. He assures me of eternal life. He makes me willing to follow him. He is my salvation. He is my light. He will go with me through cancer. He will go with me through loss. He will go with me through financial troubles. He will go with me through persecution. He will go with me the loss of that relationship. He will never leave me or forsake me. You see, in the beginning of these verses, David says, there is a power that expels fear in our lives. And that is in the person of God. And I'll say, through Jesus Christ. You know, friends, Jesus is that light of our salvation. Jesus came into this world, and in John chapter 8, he said something so necessary for each one of us. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Oh, as professing believers, we say we know that, but do we experience that comfort? Do we experience in a day-to-day basis a growing reality of his peace, the peace that is found in a confidence that God is my God. He is my stronghold no matter what enemies come. He is my confidence. David says, yet I will be confident. What is he confident in? He is not confident in his self, yet he's confident nonetheless because he is confident in the Lord. David knows God is his stronghold. Friends, what are all the creatures and threats of this world? What are all the circumstances, difficulties, and trials that face us? All of the creatures and the people of this world who may threaten you, they are but people, creatures created by God, and people that are in the cusp of his sovereignty and his loving hands. And in the scale of comparison, all the power of heaven and on earth that could threaten to undo you and destroy you and bring your fears to great reality are nothing in comparison to the heavy weight of who God is in his power and his promise to you. And it is all in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who says, I will not leave you or forsake you. No one will separate you from the love of God. If God is for us, who can be against you? And how can we know for sure? Jesus Christ our Savior and our Lord. So Paul in the psalm begins in not Paul, David in the psalm, begins and says, the person of God is my peace. But then he, he progresses in verses four through six. If, if, if the person of God is his peace, then he says, number two, my passion is the presence of God. Verses four through six. These are 
powerful words when David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after. See the passion? One thing. Give me one thing. Enemies may assail me, eat up my flesh. A war rises around me to surround me. But one thing I want, one thing I want, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Oh, for the God-centered passion that David grew to have that we would have in our lives. That in the midst of all our struggles and difficulties, we will come to say from the depths of our soul, one thing that I ask, it is that I may dwell in the place where, the point here is where God dwells. The house of the Lord was the place where God dwelled and abided, and he said, I want to go to the place where God is living and where he will show his presence to me, and that is where I want to be because I need him more than anything Oh, may God help us to be that way. He says, I want to be in the house because that's where his presence lies. As one commentator writes of this passage, David says that there is no place more satisfying. There are no sights more gratifying. And there is no information more edifying than what he experiences in Yahweh's presence. This, how does this apply to us today? This psalm is calling us to say, friend, fearful Christian, you fearful saint, believer, but still lacking faith, your help and your refuge is found in seeking the presence of the Lord, making that your sole focus. As one thing I ask, I want to see the favor of the Lord. I want to see the beauty of the Lord. I must come. And where is the beauty of the Lord? Where is His presence? It is found by His Spirit when His people gather and we worship. It is found in this Word as we read it day by day and His Spirit enlivens us but we need the help of one another to do that. And so his spirit brings us into a people where we join the community, where we encourage each other and we lift each other up and we pray for each other. The presence of God happens in the basements of founder centers or whatever building or car or parking lot. It happens in your work. It happens in places like Silver Lake Road. We call sometimes this room the sanctuary. And it can be if it means we're coming here to say, one thing I ask of you, don't let me leave this Sunday morning without seeing your face in a special way. Seeing, when he says, the be- to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, I want, David said, I want to not let my heart and mind move away from fixing it upon God's goodness his kindness, his love, his deliverance. He's going to say in chapter in verse 13, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. My eyes, I need to see it, his steadfast love. Oh, may we come with a passion for his presence, a passion to come day after day in the word of God and into your life group or on Wednesday night to gather with your family to say, oh God, one thing I ask of you, this is what I seek that I may... Dwell in the house of the Lord. May I gaze upon your beauty. 
And in these verses, verses 4 through 6, we're not going to take the time to go through all of them, but in verse 4 he says, because his presence is all satisfying. And in verse 5 he says, and his presence is all security. All security. He will hide me in the shelter in the day of trouble. He'll cover me under his tent. He'll lift me high upon a rock. And so what does he do after that? He says, his presence leads me to sing. I I must sing and worship and give thanks to the Lord because he has taken my troubled heart prone to wander in fear and doubt God, and he has come and he has shown himself to me. Friends, do not be satisfied by just being a second-hand Christian that was just say, I'm just going to live my Christianity off the, the blessings that others have received. No, seek God yourself through his word. Gather together and say, God, please show me your presence. Like David, give me a passion to see you and find your comfort in your word and with your people based on your promises that you have made in this book. Yet David leads us into a third section in verses 7 through 12 where he says, okay, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So how does he do that in one specific way? In verses 7 through 12, he prays. In this whole psalm, 7 through 12 is the prayer section. We have David now, instead of saying, this is what I do, telling himself or somebody overhearing, he now in verses 7 through 12, he gives us a prayer. He says, here, notice the prayer and what kind of prayer David has. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. He begs, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, God, your face, Lord, I seek. God, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me in level paths because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Here we find David desperately crying in lament to God. Hear, O Lord, when I cry. I'm doing what you told me, God. You said to seek your face. I'm seeking your face. Friends, that is the call of a Christian. When we come to Jesus, we don't stop coming to him. We come seeking him with all our heart. David says, I want to come near and I want to let my eyes rest on your steadfast love. Your face, when revealed to me, if you remember Moses God wouldn't even show his face to Moses. He said, if you look at me, you will perish. Man cannot look at me and live. But there is a sense in which here David is saying, we are to seek his face in another kind of way. It is his favor, his goodness, his steadfast love. David says, hide not your face from me. Let it shine upon me. Turn not away from me in anger. Do you hear David's desperation? And then he remembers what God has done in the past. Oh, you who have been my help. You've helped me in the past. 
You can help me the future. God, please help me. I wonder where you have, if you have looked back in your past, and I, I call you to do that this morning. Think about how God has helped you in these past years. How God has helped you, and he has been your salvation. You are here today, and you are not in bondage to sin. You are not headed to hell because of the grace of God, because he has been a help to you. He says something, cast me not off. Do not forsake me. It's, it's, and we would respond. Remember what he said to Joshua. I will never leave you or forsake you. God is my salvation, David, David says. And then he says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Interesting verse. Verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. When did did David's father and mother forsake him? We don't know. In fact, it's most likely that what David means here doesn't mean, is not that, boy, my dad and my mom biologically have forsaken me. Another rendering could be, if... My father and my mother have forsaken me. The Lord will still take me in. Some of you are here this morning and you would say, my father and my mother have forsaken me. They have forsaken me when I chose Christ. And now it's not the same. Or my father and mother have forsaken me not because they tried to, but they stopped living. They grew old, and they're now gone. And they're not here to show a love that a parent, a father and mother can have. And David's going to say, but the Lord will take me in. It's probably a reference. It very likely could be, or at least in parallel parallel to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15, a, a very obscure and often ignored verse that is so beautiful when, the, when Isaiah the prophet is told by God, can a woman's tender care cease towards the child she bears? And the answer is, in any natural relationship, a mother does not forsake or forget her young child. But the, Isaiah the prophet, God says to the prophet, yet she may forget that child, yet I will not forget you. Parents are the highest example of natural human affection and benevolence and of love and zeal and mercy and attention and service. And yet they are far inferior to the paternal mercy that encircles the believer in Christ Jesus. To those who are in Christ Jesus. To those that know this love and have sought him, David knows that the Lord will take him in. Because for For sooner shall the laws of nature be overturned a hundred times than God shall fail his people. David prays for guidance here and he says, I seek your face and I seek your ways and would you show me so I will obey because it's David's passion to seek him. Oh friend, this passage calls you and me to seek him with prayer. You want the peace of God? Experiencing in his presence as a passion, seek him in prayer. Seek him earnestly. Seek him like David. Do not stop. And he welcomes you to boldly come to him. 
through Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews, therefore, brothers, we, since we have confidence in it, to enter through the blood of Jesus Christ in a new and living way to a holy God, let us come and draw near to God with confidence. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I am meek and lowly of heart and you'll find rest for your souls. He says, if you are hungry, I am the bread of life. Come and eat. If you are thirsty, whoever thirsts, come and you will find drink in him. Come to Jesus. Seek him with all your heart. If your heart is dry and cold to the things of God and the things in this world are big and they are bringing a type of fear that the things of God do not remove... Cry out to God and seek help in his word and his promises and with his people to help you see the beauty and the bigness of this God. As we near the end of the psalm, where does this leave David? In verses 1 through 3, David says, God is my peace. He is the person of Yahweh. God is the might, light and salvation. He brings me peace. So enemies surround me. I do not fear, but I'm confident because I want the presence of God and I'm going to seek him. My passion is to seek the presence of God with all my heart. One thing have I asked, I seek after him to gaze upon him. And so I'm going to do that through desperate crying out to God in prayer, seeking him and guidance and help. I want to seek his face with all my heart as I go to him. So where does that leave David in these last two verses? Look at verses 13 and 14. I think David would say, my power, my strength comes as I patiently wait on God. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. In verse 13, look at verse 13. In the New American Standard, it says something like this. In italics, in italics it says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Literally, the Hebrew reads something like this, unless I believed that I could see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. It sounds awkward. The ESV translates it, I believe that I shall see the goodness upon, look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The idea here is, David is saying, I would have fainted. I would have been choked by my fears. I would have been consumed by my enemies. I would have been overwhelmed. Unless I believed, I would see God's goodness in the future coming to me. God used this promise, verse 13, in my life in my mid-20s. This verse is so precious to me. I remember a time in which I was so discouraged and dismayed about something in my life. <laughs> I was depressed, and, I, and it was a long season of depressed, depressed. And I had a friend, a mentor in my life, point me to that verse, verse 13. And he told me, don't let go of that verse. Don't let go of the truth in that verse, verses 13 and 14. And look to the God of these two verses. And over a three-month period, God spoke to me, helped me, and delivered me, and helped me as I learned 
a little bit more in my journey to wait upon the Lord. David says that I have my strength and power in the midst of fears, and it's found in waiting patiently on the Lord. He says, I have confidence in the Lord, verse 13. Dear friends, if you're in Christ Jesus, not one thing you fear right now will be the slightest irritation to you in 100 years. Not one thing that you are frustrated about will be even a little bit of a problem in 100 years. Cancer, kids, brokenness, or being broke. Not one of these things will stand up to the Lord and be at all a threat to your internal joy and happiness. He is your light and salvation, the stronghold of your life. In the light of, your, of God's steadfast, never-ending, loyal love towards you, preserving and protecting and moving all things for your good, He is your peace. In His love, you will outlive all the threats to your peace. Either because he's going to return before it's done, or he's going to raise you up and you'll live on forever. As Paul the Apostle said, for those who are in Jesus, if God is for you, logically play it out in your mind, then who can be against you? Or when the Hebrews writer says, he'll never leave you or forsake you. And he points to Psalm 118. So why shall I fear? What can man do to me? Nothing but kill me. And he will raise me up. And he will eternally care for me. He will never forsake us or leave us. He, nothing will separate us from his love. So we wait. Verse 14. We wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Wait for him a little longer. How long does God call you to wait in the midst of your fears and troubles? Well, as long as it seems wise for him to keep you waiting. Why wait? We don't always know, but because he isn't done preparing us for whatever he's going to do to bless us. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still and wait patiently. This is a hard thing for us to do. We will not, if you are a gardener or a farmer, you know that you have to wait for the harvest. All good things come to those that will only willingly wait. We are not a waiting society. Nobody likes to wait, especially when it hurts, especially when it's scary. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. To wait on the Lord is to patiently trust him that his timing is right, and we wait while the Lord of the harvest does his work. We may sow in tears of agony and prayer looking to him, and be assured, brother and sister, we will experience a harvest of joy as we look to him. Wait upon God to fix your eyes on Jesus, who is mightier than all the threats of our control, of our comfort. Wait on God 
and believe on the goodness of the Lord. And it only comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior for sinners and sufferers. It means we wait. I guess it means we wait as if we were waiting at a train station after everyone has gone home and there appears to be no sign of any more trains coming at night. But he said, wait and believe in your heart that he'll come and do what he said he would do. We wait and we wait and we wait. We look to him and we do not stop. He is our strength. We wait on him for our kids and we pray for them. We wait on him for our health and we pray for it and we know he's going to raise us from the dead. We wait on him for our future and we know he is our hope. We wait on him, but we don't wait passively. We passionately seek him. We cry out to him. We run to his sanctuary, whether that be on Silver Lake Road or in your basement or in your car or in the parking lot of your work or the halls of your school. Oh, may he make us a people who sing in the light of his presence week by week while in tears. May we look to the God who is the God of heavenly armies, who is loving and protecting us and will never stop doing so world without end. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Guys, there is a day in which all our fears will be gone. But now is the day in which we believe and we put our faith in a God in the midst of our fears, not making peace with our fears, but looking to the God who gives us his peace. Friends, he is our light and our salvation. And is he your light and salvation? I plead with one of you or any of you, if you are here this morning and you could not say, Pastor Daniel, I know he is my light and my salvation. And if he took me today and I died, I would be with him because he has forgiven me of my sins and paid for my sins with his son's precious blood. Would you know that today and have confidence by receiving him? Turn away from your sins and believe in him. And again, the answer always to those who have already done that, rejoice, trust in his promises, keep looking to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us as we finish with song. I pray that you would help us as we sing of fear and your fierce care for us against our enemies. God, I pray that you would make us this day, in the weeks, months, and years to come, to be a people who would, like David, seek you with all our heart. We wouldn't stop seeking you. We would seek your presence. We would not be content with anything else but knowing you firsthand, experiencing your love and your care from your promises. Oh, God, help us as we sing now. In Jesus' name, amen.